it's 2 Corinthians 6, 1. Let's see if that's the one. It says something about, in an acceptable time, I have heard you, in a favorable time. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 1. Let me see if that's the one I read. I should have made better note of the reference. And uh, kids can be dismissed to kids' church while I'm looking this up. 6, 2. Uh, let's go back to 6, 1. <clears throat> So, anybody had a crazy week? <laughs> crazy life? <laughs> anybody feeling in need of grace this morning? <laughs> Is anybody running on grace? You know, I mean, sometimes we, we run on self-effort because things are going well and we feel capable and efficient. But that's not all the time, is it? A lot of the time, we, ain't, we, we don't have it, right? We got nothing. And so I'm running on grace this morning. Anybody else? <laughs> American runs on Duncan. We run on grace. And so it says, we then, as workers together with him, don't you love that? We are workers together with him. Remember, we're in this together. Not just all of us, but us with Christ. As workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. That jumped out at me. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. I, who has received the grace of God through the cross, through his blood on the cross? Yeah. But don't receive it in vain. What does that mean? Is it possible we could actually receive his grace in vain? You know what that would look like? Refusing to run on grace. And to continue to try to do things in our own strength and fall apart when things fall apart. So the next verse says, for he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Have helped. He has helped you. He has heard you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So I'm going to run on grace today. Um, I didn't know I was going to be helping with worship until 9 o'clock. And, um, <clears throat> you know, other things have happened. We've just had a crazy past 24 hours in a week, um, life, month, year. And, you know, we're running on grace. And God is good, and he has heard me. He has heard you. He has heard us. He has helped us. His grace is all there, and we just have to receive it. Isn't that good to know? that It's not, it's not all up to us. It's up to him, and we're working together with him. Amen. So let's pray before I get into this. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. Thank you that you have heard us. You have helped us, and you are helping us, and you are going to help us. And so we will not receive your grace in vain. That would look like fear and fretting and worry and anxiety. So we will not receive your grace in vain. We will take hold of it, and we will trust you that you have heard us, you have helped us, you are helping us, and you are going to help us. And we thank you and praise you so much for your word and your promises and for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that was a sermon, and I could actually just stop right there. But as promised... I'm going to do part two of 
this two-week series that I called Life After Life. I called it that because when we say uh, uh, the afterlife, it sounds like um, we consider what's coming next not to be life, and this is the only life there is. Well, that's not true. So I don't like calling it the afterlife. I like calling it life after life or the real life after this very short temporal life. So this is part two of life after life. And be sure to, um, if you want to make a connection to the first part of this, be sure to listen to that online, last week's sermon. And so what I'm talking about in these two series is kind of um, what's been referred to as what you might think of as a right now heaven and a then heaven. So let's look at the then heaven today. Last week, I talked about the right now heaven. What's it like? I mean, when our loved ones die, where are they? And what is that place like where they are? And, and it's the place where we will also be for all of eternity. So I'm referring to that today as the right now heaven. But then there's also a then heaven. What happens after Jesus returns? And there's the resurrection, which is referred to a lot in Scripture, and it speaks of our physical bodies rising from the grave, right? Or from the cremation urn. I, you want my opinion on that? The same God who formed us from the dust of the earth can most certainly bring dust back together and reform us again. So there you go, if you ever wondered about that. So, so what about the then heaven? What about this thing in Scripture referred to as a new heavens and a new earth? Well, where is it going to be? Is it going to be up there or is it going to be down here? Why is there both? Is it two places? Is it one? Where is it? What's it like? So let's look at that today, part two, the, the then heaven. And so um, last week I had four points about heaven. I said that heaven is um, a place where innocence is restored, work is redeemed, community is realized, and personhood is perfected. And you can listen to that online and as I bring out all those four points. And then I didn't have time for the fifth point, but it fits better today anyway. Heaven is a place where bodies are glorified. Bodies are glorified. I'm excited about having a new body. <laughs> I'll spare you the details, right? <laughs> so, what? What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. Anyway, so bodies glorified. Um, just a little note, and I think this is just kind of fun, and, and actually I really do believe it. I believe it's probable, if not possible. Someone suggested to me once that in heaven we are going to be savants. You know what a savant is. It's like a super genius. Have you ever heard of um, uh, sudden acquired, let's see, it's called acquired savant syndrome. It's rare, but there are, there are cases uh, where people have had this, a sudden head injury, like a concussion, and it somehow it unlocks these amazing capabilities in their brains, where suddenly there's these math geniuses, and they can, you know, memorize pi, if that's even possible, <laughs> or, you know, they have these sudden amazing um, genius-like artistic abilities and musical abilities, and you can look that up, uh, acquired savant syndrome, and it happens. But neurologists who are studying the brains of these people are suggesting that we all have the savant, savant ability lying dormant in our brains. And so I just wonder if in our glorified state that will become unlocked 
And I, I, I think that Adam and Eve were savants. And the re reason I think this is, first of all, because of what I just said, if, if that's true, if we have this capability lying dormant in our brain, it would make sense that when we're restored to our Edenic state, like the Garden of Eden, to the way God intended, that will be unlocked and we will be as we were intended to be. You know, it says, we will know, then shall I know even as also I am known. Now we see through a glass darkly. But Adam named the animals. That's a lot of memorization. I don't think he named them all and then was like, uh, what was you? I forget. What do you? I mean, he, that's a lot of, that requires savant capability, right? And so if he had that kind of a brain before the fall, what are we going to have when we're glorified in heaven? Just something to think about. Um, so let's look at some verses that speak of this glorified body. How do we know that we will have an actual physical body in heaven and not just be, you know, these um, ghosts-like beings floating on clouds and strumming harps and not remembering anything, not knowing who, not having personhood and, you know, uh, memories and, and emotions and all that. So let's look at um, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 18. What I'm going to do today is give you a little bit of doctrine, a little bit of scripture support for, for these key thoughts, and then I'm going to go into the why is this important. Why is this important that we believe this? So 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. In other words, those who have died lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Hear that. He's saying, if you don't understand what I'm about to tell you, you're going to sorrow just like everybody else sorrows and grieves who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even, and, and, and we believe Jesus physically rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now, if we believe that when you die, you, your spirit instantly goes to heaven, to that place I talked about last week. The body is still in the grave, correct? I believe this is saying God will bring with him those bodies who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive physically, right, and remain until the coming of the Lord will by knowing no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. This is talking about believers and their bodies rising up from the grave, coming alive. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. See, see, their spirits are already there. Believers who have died in Christ, their spirits are in heaven, but this is speaking of a time where their bodies will be united with our bodies as we all join Christ on the day of resurrection. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And isn't it a comfort to know that we will see our loved ones physically? We can enjoy each other in our physical bodies 
forever. Isn't that wonderful? It's amazing. Philippians 1.23 says, For I am hard... Now... Yeah, I'm going to come back to this again later, but for now. Philippians 1.23, Paul is, um, he says something here that gives another nod to this idea that we will have a physical body in heaven. For I am hard-pressed between the two. Paul's conflicted about whether or not he wants to die now and go on to be with the Lord or stay because he's enduring ex extreme hardship and suffering. He says, I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to, be, to depart and be with Christ now. In other words, I, I want to just go be with Jesus right now. He's talking about his spirit. He says, but I'm, I'm conflicted because that would be far better. But to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. So he's kind of acknowledging that he's, he's got this, you know, he's caught between wanting to stay in a physical body and leaving and being with Christ as a spirit until later his body would, would join him. You know, I want to pause. I want to, I want to do something. I want to address a need because we don't play church here. We actually try to be the church. And I want to pray for Joe. Is that okay? Can we pray for you? Joe um, found out. Is, can I, can I, that okay? Joe found out um, just was it last night that her daughter has stage three cancer. Um, um, what's her name? Stage four. Gina. Gina. Gina's in California. Liver cancer. And um, let's comfort Joe with with prayers of faith. And um, let's just extend our hand to her. And uh, can we, we join me in praying for Joe right now? Father God. We thank you for this opportunity that we can lift up our precious sister to you. We pray that you would comfort this mother's heart as only you can, Holy Spirit. And we pray for this precious daughter. We ask that you would meet her. Lord, as we spoke about last week, we ask that you would dispatch ministering angels to her side to speak to her about the love of God and the power of God. We pray that your hand would be extended miraculously into this situation, even this very hour. We thank you for comfort, for peace, for joy, and for healing. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We love you, and we're going to keep praying. God's got this. Speaking more about a physical body in heaven, in Job 19, verse 26, this is what Job says. Job 19, 26. Job 19, 26. He said, and now remember, he's suffering intensely, right? If you know the story of Job. He says, after my skin is destroyed, destroyed, right? He's, he's saying, after my body has rotted in the grave. It's clear that's what he means. After my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. In what flesh? In his new flesh. 
In my glorified body I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. How my heart yearns within me. And then Jesus, in Luke 24, 39, said, he said to the disciples, after he had risen and he appeared to them in his glorified body, so he's risen from the dead, and they suppose he's a ghost, and he says, no, handle me and see, for his spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And then he asks them for something to eat, and he eats it to prove that he's, he's in his glorified body. So we follow Christ. Christ is the pattern, the first fruits we follow. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20 says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So we will have a glorified body, and in the same way that Jesus said, Touch me and see, I have flesh and bones, that will be you and I forever. For all of eternity. Isn't it wonderful? It's going to be an awesome place. So let's talk about this. What does the scripture mean when it talks about a new heavens and a new earth? What is that? Maybe like me, you grew up pretty much only hearing about heaven, and you imagine it's someplace in the sweet by and by in the sky somewhere, and that's all you know. But the scriptures have a lot to say about the new heavens and the new earth. So let's look at those scriptures. Um, Revelation 21.1, probably the most commonly used passage. Revelation 21, starting with verse 1. This is John on the island of Patmos, and the Lord Jesus himself appears to him and tells him to write all these things down. And so this is the vision he saw. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now, when he says new heaven, I believe that's everything outside of the earth, you know, the universe, the skies, the physical skies. It's not as though there's a new um, heaven in the sense of the celestial city. Where he's talking about the, the skies. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle, that means dwelling place, of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people." God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more pain, there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Uh, and the actual tense, verb tense, is I am making all things. Jesus is in the process of making all things new. I am making all things new. And he said to me, write these words, for they are true and faithful. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God and he shall be my son or my daughter. 
And uh, you don't have to look these up. You can jot these down and look them up later for the sake of time. But in, in Isaiah 34, verse 4, Isaiah prophesies about the heavens, the skies being rolled up as a scroll. And then in Revelation 6, 14, John sees that. So these are the scriptures and the prophets agreeing with each other, with each other several centuries apart. And John, again, in Revelation 6, 14, speaks of the heavens being rolled up as a scroll. What does that mean? Someone suggested it, it's a wrapping up of the time-space dimension, at which point we will enter into an eternal realm outside of time and space, but we will still be people with physical bodies and personalities, perfected and glorified. That's just amazing to think about. Um, in Habakkuk 2.14, I read this last week, but the, let's look at it again. The passage where it speaks about the wolf dwelling with the lamb and the child with the cobra, you know, peace between the animals of creation. It, it, it says in Habakkuk 2.14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Let me ask you, do you think that right now the earth is exactly filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord? I don't think so. But this says it will be. So what does that tell you? There's going to be a new earth. When Jesus prayed in Matthew 6, what did he say? Thy kingdom come. What is it? Thy kingdom come here. That was Jesus' prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. And he goes on to say, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So Jesus is saying, yours is the kingdom. That kingdom that I just prayed would come to earth. It is the kingdom. It is your kingdom forever. So Jesus is clearly praying concerning a an a kingdom on earth that lasts forever. Matthew 5, 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit what? The earth, not heaven. Jesus said they shall inherit the earth. If it's going to be blown up for good and gone forever, why would he say we will inherit it? Unless he means this right here is something we would want to inherit, and I don't think so. Daniel 7.13, Daniel has this vision, and this is what he says. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, I'm reading from Daniel 7.13, one like the Son of Man, that's Jesus clearly in Scripture, coming with the clouds of heaven. Notice it says coming, not going coming with the clouds of heaven. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a what? A kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. So here is Daniel saying he saw Jesus coming to earth. He was given a kingdom comprised of people from every nation and language, and it says it's an everlasting kingdom on earth. So I'm giving you scriptural support for this idea of a new earth. Job said in 1925, Job 1925, 
Remember what I just said when he's talking about his physical body? I know that in my flesh I shall see God. He goes on to say, and he, God, shall stand at last on the earth. The context is, after my skin is destroyed, in my flesh I shall see my Redeemer, and he shall stand at last on the earth. Job is talking about seeing Jesus on the earth after his body is resurrected, very clearly. So, why is this important? I've given you doctrine. You can, there are so many, this could be a six-week class. There are so many uh, scriptures supporting this. Um, I've given you doctrine, but why is it important to teach and believe the scriptures uh, talking about the new heavens, new, new sky and new earth? Um, I think it, that it inspires two things. When we proclaim this message to people in the world, it inspires two things, hope and holiness. This doctrine, this teaching, this belief about the new earth, heaven as the new earth, you know, where God rolls up this old earth as a scroll. Oh, I didn't even read. Um, yeah, we'll get to that. We will get to that. Um, I, I don't know why we don't teach this more in the church, because this is how important it is. It's, it's actually, I think, one of the best apologetics out there. Apologetics is the study of how to defend Christianity. Do you know probably the number one or one of the main objections to Christianity, and maybe you've heard this, goes like this. I cannot possibly believe in a good and loving God when all these bad things are happening in the world. Or he let X, Y, Z happen to me. Or he doesn't answer my prayer. Or he didn't answer my prayer. All the natural disasters, the wars, the tragedies, the personal tragedies. How could there be a good and loving God? There must not be a God because look at all the suffering in the world. This is the answer to that question. God is in the process of restoring and redeeming not just every life, but all of creation, all of creation, all of the plant and animal world, so that if you're losing sleep overnight because you're afraid that, I don't know, Florida's going to melt into the ocean, guess what? I've got good news for you. God is restoring creation. It's really going to be okay. If you're maybe in a different place, you know, and you're afraid that terrorists are going to invade our country and blow us up, guess what? I've got good news for you. God is restoring and redeeming all of creation. And God has every single leader and authority and governmental power on a short leash, and he is sovereign. I just said that to someone the other day. I did. I said, I hope you're conversing, conversing, not fighting, with people outside the church. And I hope that you can bring this as a hope to them. Because I, someone just told me this past week, you know, that they're, they're, if, they, if they were freaked out about the last election result, then this year... This year's election, they're like, they're, it's like it was very clear. A lot of people are, are just going to like probably maybe end up in the psych ward. I don't know. Definitely already not sleeping, thinking about it, full of anxiety because of everything going on in the world. I said, guess what? I can sleep at night 
not because things may or may not be going on my way in the news media, but I've got this living hope that there's a God who is sovereign and he has Trump and every world power on. He's got him in his control, in his hands, and he will have his way. He knows exactly what he's doing and why he's doing it. And he is in the process of restoring and redeeming all things. So when all we see is tragedy and hopelessness and why on earth did that happen? God, who lives in eternity, sees the beginning from the end. He's already in eternity with all those lives who have been destroyed by every kind of disaster and tragedy. God is in eternity seeing what we cannot see, restoration, redemption, glorified bodies. He knows exactly what he's doing. He really does have it all under control. And so our message must not be, hear me, church, we have got to have a better message. We have got to stop echoing the voice of the world saying, oh, everything's falling apart and oh, they're doing this and they're doing that and it's all going to pot. No, God is in the business of restoring and redeeming all things and that has got to be our message. It's got to be our message because it's a better message and it's a hopeful message. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, just think about that phrase. You scroll through the news feed, what do you see? The sufferings of this present time. You look at your medical reports from the doctor, what do you see? The sufferings of this present time. You talk to your family members and stuff they're involved in, what do you hear? The sufferings of this present time. Paul says, I consider, and do you consider? Do you ever stop and consider? That the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation, notice, not just the creatures, not just the humans, all of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. For the creation was subjected to futility or vanity or hopelessness or purposelessness or waste or destruction, not willingly. It's not as though God just, you know, arbitrarily lets things happen and he's, he's okay with it, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself, think of that, the, all of creation will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. In other words, all of creation will, be, will join us in the freedom from spiritual and physical decay. Did you hear that? Redemption is for all of creation. And just as we are born into a process of decay, creation is in a process of decay, it would seem, unless you've read the book. 
all of creation will be delivered from the bondage of decay, free from the downward spiral of spiritual decay and for us, uh, of physical decay and for us spiritual decay. All of creation will join us in the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now. Every bad headline, every, every tsunami, every earthquake, every hurricane, every diagnosis, they're labor pains. Every rumor of war, every attack, they are labor pains. The whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together. And Australia is groaning and laboring with birth pangs. But it says not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, that seed of Christ that was implanted in your spirit when you said yes to Jesus, we ourselves are even groaning, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it, and it says, with perseverance. There's this thing, waiting with perseverance. What does that look like? It's not a passive waiting. It's a waiting on your knees. It's a waiting with worship and praise coming from your mouth. That's waiting with perseverance. Is anybody today currently hoping for what you do not see? We wait for it with perseverance, and we have this hope within ourselves. God is in a process of restoration and redemption. He knows exactly what he's doing. So this message of a new heavens and a new earth in process of restoration and redemption, first of all, gives us hope, and that is the message that we need to have in the world right now. But it also should inspire the church to holiness. So this message gives hope, to the world, and holiness for the church. At least it should. Listen to 2 Peter 3, verse 10 to 13. Second Peter 3, 10 to 13. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. How does the thief in the night come? Unexpectedly. You don't know when the thief, thief is coming. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you when all these things are going to happen. If you want to know, go Google it, go YouTube it, and you're going to get bombarded with a thousand different interpretations that will make your head spin. Guess what? Focus on the main thing. Jesus is going to return. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, and I want to be ready. I want to be there. I want to be a part of that. Amen. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it, that's interesting, the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, 
and the elements will melt with fervent heat. So there we have this earth being destroyed. There it is. But pay attention to the next part. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen. So it says that because we know this, we ought to be holy in all of our conduct. That suggests to me that we need to be in preparation to live in this earth in which righteousness dwells. It's going to be an earth full of righteous people. Acts 3, verse 19 through 21. Acts 3, 19 to 21. It says, Paul, I believe this is Peter preaching. Uh, and he says, repent therefore. Repent means to quit simply turn from your ways, turn from your good ways, do a, do a 180, turn and live the opposite of the way you've been living. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things." Restoration of all things. Plants, animals, people, governments, all of it. Which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Do you notice in these last two passages I read, it seems that Paul is suggesting that it's almost as if God is waiting that that, that day when Jesus returns and, and, and there's a new, he, a new heaven and a new earth, it's almost as though it's being suggested here that in some measure it, it's, it's almost like God's waiting for us. Because uh, Peter says, hastening, uh, be holy in, in your conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. And then in Acts, what I just read, it says, um, let's see, repent so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. It's almost as though God is so long-suffering and patient and not willing that any should perish and there's this plea here for us to prepare ourselves because, you know, God, it's almost as if he's holding out. He just wants as many as possible in that kingdom, in that new earth. So what will it be like? Well, that's a whole other sermon or two or three. So I'm not going to go into those details. I did some of that last week. But I can give you some scriptures to jot down and study on your own. I would look at Isaiah 65, especially the last half of that chapter. Isaiah 65 deals with this new earth. Revelation 22, it speaks of us reigning forever. It speaks of, uh, Isaiah 65 speaks of enjoying our work and the fruit of our labors. It speaks of growing old, living to be past 100 we definitely, it is definitely absolutely not a place of boredom and inactivity, as we spoke about um, last week. Have you heard the, uh, I'm coming to a close here. Have you heard the term eschatology? It literally means the study of last things. And again, I could 
you know, I don't, I, I don't um, feel at this point God leading me to get into eschatology. I mean, what's it, all the questions that, there's this joke, someone said, Christians, Christians fight about a thousand year reign of peace, which is it's supposed to be funny if you think about it. The millennium is this thousand year reign of peace where Jesus comes and reigns for a thousand years on the earth. And then it, that raises all kinds of questions. Well, when is it going to be? Um, is there going to be a rapture right before that or in the middle or after? And what will we be doing? And will, be literally, will it be literally from a throne in literal uh, Jerusalem? You know what? I would say study that out, um, but ask yourself as you're studying, what is it doing for your walk with God? I would say a healthy eschatology will give you a holy walk with God, and it will give you a love for his people. So I would say, in short, rather than answering all of those questions or attempting to, because honestly, a lot of them, I don't know. And I'm not sure I'm supposed to know. I know the things I am supposed to know. That's what I've already told you. But I would say, in answer to those questions, let's live as though we're preparing for the worst. The worst would be we go through whatever judgment God brings on this earth. Live as though we are preparing to go through that by being in the word and living a holy life. And then we hope for the best. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Because Hebrews 12, 14 says this, and I love this. Follow peace. Follow peace with all men and holiness. This is where I love punctuation. It's so important. Hebrews 12, 14. I want you to notice those commas. Pursue peace with all people, comma, and holiness. Without those two things, no one will see the Lord. There's your eschatology. There's your end times question. That is the answer. How do I get there? What do I do? Pursue peace with all men and holiness. There's your relationship with God and your relationship with people. You pursue those things, peace and holiness. Without them, no one will see the Lord. You want to see the Lord? You want to be caught up together in the clouds to meet him whenever and however? Pursue peace with all men and holiness. See, we need both. We need both, and, and some parts of the church are really, really good at emphasizing holiness, and other parts of the body of Christ are really, really good at emphasizing peace with all people, and we need each other to help us do both. So I'm going to close. I did say I'm closing. I promise this is the very last verse. My closing verse, Philippians 1.23, Philippians 1.23, I want to show you what a very healthy eschatology looks like. I, what a very healthy view of the last days, the return of Christ. I want to show you what that produces in a person. Paul, remember, intense suffering. He's chained in a cell. As he writes this, he's likely in a Philippian jail, chained up. He's been beaten. He's probably hungry, thirsty, unclothed, without sleep, very weak, possibly sick, every kind of suffering you can imagine, he's there. And yet, listen to what this man says. For I am hard-pressed between the two. In other words, I can't decide. Having a desire to, be, to depart and be with Christ, 
In other words, on the one hand, I want to leave right now and go be with Jesus. That's the right now heaven, right? My spirit going to be with Jesus, which is far better. And he says this amazing, astounding thing. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh, in this suffering body of flesh. To remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for what? For your progress and joy of faith. Wow. A healthy eschatology should not give us an escape mentality where we just want to get out of here and never mind all the people around me that are lost and dying without Christ for all eternity. Never mind that. I just want to get out of here. I'm done. No, that's not a good healthy, that's not a good eschatology. What we want is, wow, I really want to be with Jesus and I can't wait to be with him for all eternity, but there's so much work yet to be done. And no matter what I have to go through, I'm going to stay and trust God that he's going to strengthen me to do his will until the very end, until he says to me, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Do you know why Christianity spreads so rapidly from its, its epicenter there where it began, and I think where is modern-day Turkey, the beginning of the church? Do you know why it's spread out to where now Christianity is mainly concentrated in places like Africa and China? growing like wildfire in Iran, in the Middle East, in South America, the places that began to Christian are godless now, and the places that were once godless are now the most Christian parts of the earth. Do you know why that is? It's because they had a view of the new heavens and the new earth. They knew that no matter what happens with this body and no matter what happens with this earth, a new one is coming, a new body and a new earth, so that their torturers watched them suffer with those words on their lips as they were burned at the stake and beaten and tortured. Their torturers watched them die with those words on their lips. Behold, I make all things new. And that is why Christianity spread. That hope could not be stamped out. Someone said, this, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And that seed is growing, and it's going to grow in the soil of a new earth that God is preparing for you and me to live in for all of eternity. That's our hope, and that is our holiness. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, so much for the hope that you give us here in 2020 where we find ourselves in such a perplexing time in history, such a, such a tumultuous and um, polarizing time in our nation. Father, would you put this vision in plain sight so that we can have a message of hope while everyone else has such a message of hate and doom? We can have love and hope on our lips. Would you put that in our hearts so that it flows from our mouth, a better message? 
And Father, would you prepare your people, prepare your church, like we read in Revelation, as a bride adorned for her husband. That is the, that is the rulership and the government of this new earth with you, Jesus, as the head and your people ruling and reigning. We look forward to that day. We long for it and we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. We put our hope in you for you are making all things new. Praise you, Lord. In your precious name, Jesus. Thank you for this food we're about to eat, and I pray that you would bless our fellowship. Amen. Amen. You may be dismissed, and um, there's plenty of food, so please stay and help yourself. <laughs>